0: Hello, I'm faring nicely, thank God for allergy medication. Hi, I'm Trey, and I'm joined by my forever podcast guest and host, sorry, host, uh, (laughs) Lady Emily. Jeez. (laughs) I'll
1: I'll be a guest today, that's fine. Um, I too am on allergy medication, so it's a good day. (laughs)
0: Oh, Lord. Now that I've made a complete (laughs) fool of myself, time to take myself to the fair. Uh, Emily, (laughs) would you like to introduce our guest for today?
1: Sure. Today we have kind of a hero in my eyes. She runs the websites Fairfinder.com and Mistorical.net. She is also the creator of the former Renaissance magazine, and that changed my world and many others. So please welcome Kim Guarnaccia.
2: Yay!
3: Thank you. Good to have you. Thank you for coming on.
1: I want to start by saying what a hero you are to me, because Uh. Renaissance Magazine was like the thing that unlocked something for me. And I'll explain. So like in, I don't, I won't say the year, but in, in years ago, (laughs) years ago, (laughs) I was um, in my early 20s and I had a friend at work who told me about what a renaissance festival was. And I was like, what?
2: <laughs>
1: a place like that exists? She had gotten one of those little hair tie things with like the yeah, beads yeah. hanging from it. And she had gotten like a flower wreath crown. And um, she told me about turkey legs and all the things, the joust, the all of it. And I was like, This place exists. This was like, I mean, I grew up loving castles. I remember one of my favorite movies from from my childhood and from my my whole life was Princess Bride. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, that was my thing. And to know that this whole festival existed for this purpose Mm -hmm. was I could go live my dream for like a day. I'm going to go do it. And so I went and I rented a crappy costume and I went and I didn't care because I felt beautiful. And one of the things they sold in the gift shop was Renaissance magazine. And it might not have been that year that I noticed that it was sold, but at some point, cause I didn't stop going at some point I noticed Renaissance magazine and I bought it because I thought this is so cool. And so then it wasn't long after that, that I saw it in Barnes and Noble and seeing mm-hmm. that in Barnes and Noble during a time when going to the Renaissance fair was super nerdy, super dorky. You don't bring that up in public often,
3: (laughs) make sure you're
1: with the right crowd. So to bring, to have something be come somewhat mainstream or have such a, a hand in making that more mainstream was incredible to me and incredible for all of us. I don't think you realize what, you gifted the world with by having renaissance magazine maybe you do but i wanted you to know that
3: oh that's so nice yeah i mean occasionally i would get letters from people that would be mind-blowingly you know heartfelt um but it, it wasn't often um so it's it's always nice to hear i you know i i think the best letter i got was from a mom whose daughter had just passed away from some you know cancer that took her and how um renaissance magazine had helped her through like the last year of her life and that she always looked forward to the next issue and and i was just like ugh, blown away by something like that um but otherwise you just kind of live your life and you're you're mucking around in the, the day-to-day struggle of keeping yeah. a magazine afloat. So, you know, you don't really spend a lot of time thinking about how this might be impacting your readers' um, lives. So it's it's really pretty special when I hear stories like that, um, you know, which I do rare, rarely, but on on occasion. Good. Um, and that's um, part of the reason why I decided to Get back into it um, a few years ago because I just, you know, one of the things about the Renfair community is, yeah, they're totally nerdy, but they're the most, in a good
2: way, <laughs> loving
3: <laughs> people. You know, they're mm-hmm. so like they'll embrace you no matter how creep, not creepy, but crazy you are. You know, you you can have a, a, all sorts of weirdness about you and really be an eccentric person and you are welcomed with open arms and you know there are very few communities like that um you know you think about like reenactors in general reenactors only are very strict they um (laughs) want you to be historically correct and if you aren't they will shun you (laughs) and i don't know if that's how the civil war community works but i think it's in in certain respects the scadian the sca community i think is a little bit like that um you know where it you have to you, you have to really get into historically correct dress and yeah. make sure that you're you're reenacting the appropriate time period down to the decade and you know everything which is wonderful like what a great experience but most people you know the average person isn't that hardcore about it. Um, But, you know, you can go to a Renaissance fair and wear just about anything. And um, if you want to hang out with the washing well wenches or the fairy community (laughs) or the Viking encampment, they will welcome you in and sit you down and have you become part of their play, you know, that they're putting on. Um, So it, it was a real experience in, in that way to, to realize like what a wonderful group of people, this community was, you know, the folks that put on the fairs, perform at the fairs, sell their wares. I mean, they're amazing craftspeople that go to these, that, you know, sell their stuff at Renaissance fairs. It's some of them is just absolutely crazy, beautiful work, um, in craftsmanship. So, um, You know just to be around that and then just watching kids have a blast um as well you know watching the joust and but of course i'm yelling as much as (laughs) any kid (laughs) (laughs) of course cheering on the night (laughs) whether it's and what's so exciting too is i went to i think oh gosh um I don't know, it was like maybe the New York or Connecticut Renaissance Fair in the last few years. Um, and I was so excited to see that it was a like female jousters. And it was oh, the, yeah. you now back in the day when I started Renaissance Magazine in the 90s, there was no such thing as a female jouster. They might have a woman do tilting, um, you know, catching rings at the end of their, um, uh, Lance, but Mm -hmm. that was about it. You know, they would, they, women did not joust. And this was like an all women's group that was out there jousting. I don't think it was full contact jousting, but I mean, it it looked the part, it looked real. And I was just like, oh, what a great experience for these young girls watching that really, you know, you can now see women literally doing something super dangerous because joust people die jousting not all the time but you know it does happen Mm -hmm. um and these women were putting their lives on the line you know to perform and i was like ah what that's amazing you know so you can bring your your daughter now to a renaissance fair and it's you can literally tell her look you can be a knight if you want to you don't have to be the princess anymore. Um, and here I'm going to show you. We'll go to the joust and watch the women in, in full armor <laughs> joust against each other. So,
0: just this morning, I actually was on TikTok because um, you know that's what you do nowadays. Um, but <laughs> actually, I happened to see this um, this post early this morning of how they were people were kind of looking at these guys and they were just goofing off and being jousting like um characters and this guy was hanging off the side of a horse and this other guy was like trying to ham it up for the ladies and um then they pan over to the a female jouster who like took off her hood and had that i am no man sort of moment <laughs> um and it cuts back to the people that were filming and their jaws just dropped um because they had the poise they had the everything about them and they just went this this is what i want. Yeah. So yes, this is now what i want. I want female jousters.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 a different feel, but they were as hardcore as the men and i i think there is absolutely a place for women jousters and you know, there there more women are in um reenacting in the battle scenes and and that sort of thing as well. So I'm, I'm hopeful that in the next decade, we'll see more and more women um, being interested in joining. Because I don't think at this point they turn you away. Um, I just think more men tend to be interested in um, reenacting a battle scene um, or that sort of thing. So I, th- I think over time we're going to see, you know, it be more of a 50-50 situation. Um, mm. But even even if it's not, you know, the fact that there's a few women doing it is just wonderful, I think.
1: And that Uh, girls
3: can see that they have a choice. They have a choice. Yeah. They can be a princess. That's fine. Um, But they don't have to anymore.
0: Um, So when I'm, this might be a very hard question to answer, because I think everyone is going to have their own answer for it. But what is, what is one thing at a festival that you look forward to, like every single
3: time? Um, You know, I'm a, I love the joust. So I always look forward to going to that at the end of the fair day. Um, but, you know, I love seeing people in costume. And I when I was running Renaissance magazine, that's a big, part of my day, when I would go to a renaissance fair, I would be carting around a big, huge camera bag with the old, my big Nikon and, you know, um, a light, um, what do they call it, like whatever, light screen or whatever to to get the light just right. And I would run around and take photographs of people in costume for the magazine. Um, and then I would usually schedule to um, take photographs of a popular performing act or performer um, that we had scheduled an interview with so that we had you, you know, um, original photos of the performer to accompany the article. Um, and so I was always on the out, um, looking out for those unusual, fantastic costumes. Um, and then, you know, asking folks if they wouldn't mind me taking photographs um, of them. And I still do that. You know, um, what I've been posting recently as we were just talking um, on our new YouTube channel is um, photos, um, actually they're video, short videos um, of people in costume at the Renaissance Fair. Um, And I've been pretty amazed at how many hits we're getting with that. So, you know, even though it might be a six second shot of, you know, a couple in a crazy costume, it's um, I think people love seeing what others, you know, the creative um, spirit that so many people who aren't going as performers, they're just going. they're paying, you know, the $30 $30 admission fee, just like everybody else, but they've made their costume and it's fantastic. Um, like, we, um, at, I had a, a gal who lives out in Arizona um, who writes um, for me now. And she said, oh, I've never been to a Renaissance fair. And I'm like, oh my God, you have to go. If you're going to write for me, you have to go. And so we got her a press pass and she went, I think, opening day. And I told her, take as many photographs or video as you can. And she took this shot of a gal that had dressed up like um, Wednesday Adams. And her partner, her boyfriend partner was the plague doctor in this amazing plague costume
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, with, with the beak and everything. And she w- had a was holding a carriage with a baby doll. <laughs> that was like just crazy you know it wasn't like bloody but it was black And her you know the 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 carriage for the doll was all black and it was just what a fantastic pair um you know and again wednesday autumns isn't renaissance right um but who cares because it was just so well done and um they were like a huge hit at that at that fair. So that's the nice thing is, you know, hey, you don't have to wear a Renaissance costume or a medieval costume or a Viking costume or a pirate costume (laughs) to go to a Renaissance fair. You could wear Star Wars, a Mandalorian costume. It really, uh, anime, it doesn't matter, you know, be yourself, um, enjoy your day, um, be the barbarian warrior princess or whatever it is that you wanna be and just have fun Um, or just, you know, pull a few things together out of your closet. If you don't, if you're not a costume person, that's totally fine too. Um, Or like you said, you know, there are lots of places at a fair that you can rent a costume. Um, And that's a great way to just, you know, not worry about it and yet still participate in that costume feel. So you feel more a part of that community, I think when you're wearing something Other than street clothes. Yeah, um, that will
1: change your experience. Going in costume is a completely different experience than not going. I don't know how else to describe that other than you have to just do it to see. Like, I have my own really ridiculous over-the-top, you know, Elizabethan nobility garb. Because that's, you know, go big or go home is my motto. (laughs) So... And I didn't realize that this would happen when I stepped out in it the first time. And that is, if you, if you, depending on what you're wearing, because I could go peasant. I've done that too. And I've done a few (laughs) other looks, fairy and whatever. Um, But if you go out in a cool costume, the chances of you being stopped for your photo, like, increase 20,000 fold. Yeah. you're not going to get your picture taken if you're in street clothes and whether right. or not you want your picture taken, the one thing I noticed that was a really cool side effect with of that was little kids see you as part of their experience and that was amazing to be like little kids thought I was the princess or the queen or something and of course I'm not going to ruin it for them and tell them no but like, That was amazing because of how it made me feel. But also, like, I realized how I was being seen by them. I don't know. It changed it for them, too. So, yeah, go in costume. Whatever it is, just go. Yeah.
3: And I I knew I'd made it when one day I was walking around and someone came up to me and asked where the bathrooms were. (laughs) And (laughs) and I was like, okay, they think I'm... A performer, you know, that's pretty special. You you're know, like, if you dress well, call well enough privy. or someone thinks you're, you work there.
1: <laughs> right.
3: And you right. have to say, no, no, the privies.
1: <laughs> so which ones have you been to?
3: Oh, gosh, like 20, oh, 30 okay. different ones. Yeah, over the years. I've just been to GOPS. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what- I, I've been really lucky. I've um, been to fairs all up and down the uh, East Coast. I've been to some small ones in Iowa, <laughs> went to a small one in Iowa one year, um, uh, California, a bunch of times. So um, the one fair, well, there's two fairs that I haven't gotten to yet that I, I have to at some point on my bucket list, which of course is the Texas
1: yes. Renaissance
3: <laughs> Festival, which is the largest in the country. It has like 650,000 people that attend every year um and bristol you haven't never been to bristol Bristol renaissance
1: those are two that i've actually been to yeah (laughs) yeah texas is phenomenal like mind blowing it's kind of like going to your local neighborhood mall and then going to the mall of america
3: (laughs) (laughs) right right like it's just over the top
1: they have grecian gardens and like when i went they did they stayed open after dark and then they shot fireworks off at night. Like you don't
3: see that, right? (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah. It's amazing. And the the weirdest one I went to was in Arizona, which I love Arizona, like the nicest fair director I ever met. Well, there has been a bunch, but one of the nicest is Jeffrey Siegel, um, who runs the Arizona Renaissance fair festival. And um, he just was super supportive of me in the very beginning when I was getting Renaissance Magazine off the ground. And the Renaissance Fair circuit, the fair directors were very reticent to support my efforts in the beginning. It really was the merchants Hmm. that supported it. Um, Now, later on, when they saw that I had gained momentum and was being sold everywhere, that, you know, they said, okay, now we'll, you know, Place ads and and um, get involved with the magazine. But in the beginning, very few Renaissance fairs wanted to have anything to do with me. And but Jeffrey was one of the few that you know was very um, personally supportive. And so he had me out one year to go to the Arizona Renaissance Fair, which I did to take photographs, and I did a big uh, photo spread. And it's just the wildest thing to walk around in the middle of a desert at a renaissance fair where, you know, they're trying to give you the Robin Hood feel of being in a forest with cactus. <laughs> that That is surreal. But, you know, they do a really good job um, of making it feel like, yeah, you're in Britain, but in a desert. And right. the only thing, like, I remember thinking, like, wow, I spent the whole day drinking water. Um, because, you know, you're, you're in a desert. So you're, you, they tell, that's one of the things they tell you, right, is make sure you're always drinking water. Um, so I drank the water the whole day, never once had to visit a privy um, because, you know, it just evaporates right out of you. And um, that's not the experience that you have in Massachusetts, <laughs> as an example, where there's lots of humidity. Um, so, yeah, so Arizona was, I would say, the strangest um renaissance fair just because you know it's not what you expect <laughs> i was, <laughs> I was in arizona too yeah yeah it's... But it's great i love the arizona fair yeah. yeah but
0: like how cool um seth and i uh my boyfriend and i went to our first renaissance festival last year um and i just kind of pitched it like hey there's this thing um i haven't been before he looked at it and went they have turkey legs. We're going, <laughs> and we wound up going. And um, then we started talking about, oh well, when we come back, like next year. And I went, oh, oh you want to, you, you want to come back? And he goes, yeah. And we're gonna dress up, and you're gonna make our costumes. And I went, <laughs> and okay, um, we- yeah,
3: yeah. I, I had that same experience with my um, current boyfriend slash partner, and I took him right before covid we went to um connecticut renaissance fair hmm. so that this is my kind of hometown fair and it's a smaller event so i knew you know it's not going to be overwhelming to him and it's it's one of these events that you know you can see in 4 hours so i figured if he was like oh this is not my scene um we could scoot fairly quickly and i made him I gave him for like Valentine's Day or something like that, a monk costume off of Amazon, right? You know, super cheap and cheesy, but Easy. you know, it works. And so he he was good sport and put it on, went to the fair, had a blast. He was pulled into a Viking versus monks um, uh, tug of war wow and somebody i don't know who it was but somebody ran around pulling anybody who had a monk costume on and pulled them over to the the jousting arena and then all the guys they could find in viking costume and then they set up up, set them up on sides and then they had a huge tug of war with all the monk the monks (laughs) from Lindisfarne or whatever versus the vikings and you can only imagine who won um, all these big, burly Vikings right. <laughs> against all these Nazi so burly guys dressed up as monks. But it was hilarious. And after that, he was like, this is awesome. And so the following year, we went to King Richard's Fair, um, which is in Massachusetts. And so that's more of a moderately to larger-sized fair. And he was like, that's it. I'm I'm buying a costume, <laughs> and we spent the whole day getting him decked out in in a full Rennie costume. And he now has a much better costume than than I do. Um, and I was just like flabbergasted. I thought for sure he'd be like, "Oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll I'll just tag along." <laughs> but he was like, "Oh no, I'm getting a real costume this time, <laughs> not some cheap thing off of Amazon." <laughs> <laughs> so he he has the full. Yeah. I love it though. The, the and
2: where,
1: <laughs> where else are you gonna ever see a tug of war between Vikings and monks? It's, right, nowhere else. Yeah,
3: and participate in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I now, great. I now have this like small desire to see the monks, specifically from Monty Python's uh, and the Holy Grail, yeah. with like the hoods up, can't see any of their faces. Right, right participating in this specific tug of war
3: (laughs) i think they would lose too these vikings were just like i mean you think of what kind of guy would walk around without a a shirt on at a run fair okay big guys you know like really muscular and so they they were like you know real hardcore vikings Um, so there was it was no contest (laughs) (laughs) Huh. Everybody knew the Vikings were definitely going to win, but so is history, right? right? The Vikings always won their battles over the um, monasteries in Britain.
0: Um, Archer in our chat says, "Funny how so many of us got sucked into the Renfest world in this way. The second you show up in a costume, the whole experience." Uh, yeah, isn't that right? Yes, that's
3: why. That's why it's so important to wear something doesn't matter what but um or rent something like you did um emily the in your first encounter you know go go rent a costume and yeah it's way cheaper
1: you can play with it you know go as one character one time and a different character another figure out what you want to do and be and you don't have to dump the money into something more expensive yet right right yeah
0: um kim going back to something that you said though um i think what we've been talking about this whole time is that um the renaissance festival whatever whichever one you go to is so inclusive of so many different kinds of people um but just like anywhere you go participating in some fashion just broadens that experience and just opens its arms a little bit more because for me for a long time i thought that it was a very kind of closed off place and having that kind of very welcoming experience was just like instantaneous like yep we're doing this again we're coming back and to hear so many more people talk positively about it now and see countless more festivals popping up just almost like yearly popping up is really encouraging and i think speaks to um the the greater sense of like family and belonging that um that we're really blessed to have.
3: Yeah, I think the younger generations um, have really gotten, have that spirit within within themselves in a way that someone maybe my age in their 50s didn't have in elementary or high school. Um, And so that feeling of, excuse me, inclusiveness, um, that you can kind of be whatever, you know, um, wear your freak, freak flag, you know, be who you are, be true to yourself, don't worry what other people think, um, you know, that, that kind of um, supportive energy. Um, I, at least in the schools that, you know, my, my partner's kids go to, that they seem very much on the ball with that in a way that my generation was like, oh, no, if you're not, you know, straight and or, you know, into sports or whatever, then you are going to you're going to get um, picked on a lot. So um, I think the Renaissance fair has kind of embodied that in, in um, and, and have embodied that for, for decades, which is just lovely. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, what size you are or what style of anything that you like or don't like. You can be goth. You can be anything. And it's totally great. Everybody is going to appreciate whoever you are. You can wear glitter and fur, (laughs) you know, just it really doesn't matter at a Renaissance fair. Um, So, um, and in fact, the more crazy you are, probably, <laughs> the more attention with photographs and all that kind of stuff that you'll you'll get, for sure.
1: Yeah. You might get uh, dragged into a tug of war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
0: can yeah. One, oh, oh yeah, go ahead, um, One thing that I was going to say, and we were kind of talking about it before the, the podcast um, started, and I want to make sure to bring this up. Um, there are many times when we're like pitching guests and we start talking about guests that we would like to have. And um, Emily starts to mention some, some people that she would like to have on the, the podcast. And I start mentioning some people we have on the podcast. And then we start to start booking some of these incredible individuals. And then Emily gets really excited and then I get really excited. And then the day comes and it's just like, ah, and for those listening at home i'm currently um feeling a lot like that kermit gif where he's just like flailing his arms in the air he's so excited (laughs) um because it, it it speaks to a lot of things that that make us so incredibly excited and inspire us to be on this podcast um so there so thanks to emily i'm getting introduced to incredible people incredible people like you um who have clearly inspired so many other people and welcomed so many other people. And one of the ways that I know that you did that is because of the uh, Renaissance Magazine. Um, And so I would just kind of like to ask you, what really really prompted you to kind of start that and why, what, mm, I'm trying to formulate the question that I had, because I had it and I lost it. Um, but can you kind of tell us about like the foundation of that and what was it like, um, starting up your own magazine?
3: Well, I, at the time had been pulled into, um, I was working for an ad agency at the time and it was only a few years out of college and I was not being challenged creatively at this job. And I had met, um a guy who was about my age um, at an art show. So he was an artist and he had started this small magazine, like literary art magazine, where he could do all the artwork. Um, and he was just handing them out on the street corner sort of thing, or leaving piles of them at alternative stores around town. Um, and he said, you know, I really could use someone to help me design this. And I said, oh, great, yeah, sure, I'll help. You know, he says, I don't have any money. I said, that's fine. Um, So, because I knew it would give me an outlet to be a lot more creative, because he wasn't going to say, you know, you can't do this or that um, in a way that I was not being challenged at my job. Um, And so I started work on that. He then um, decided to move. Like within a, I don't know, six months of me working with him. And so he moved from Connecticut to Florida. And at that point, he said, Look, if you want it, it's yours. Go for it. And I said, Well, you know, I, this would be kind of interesting to learn more about how to put a magazine together. And so this was all pre internet, you know, this was early 90s. (laughs) So no such thing as internet. So I couldn't like, Do any research as did like how do you publish a magazine there was no digital options available and so i i don't know that i read much about it um i must have pulled some books out of the library or something like that there was a fledgling internet more or less but you couldn't really get any information off of that but i taught myself how to get it this small you know, four page folded, black and white publication, I built it into a, like, 32 page legit magazine that was being sold in the bookstores. And so that was exciting to me, because I was doing this on the side, um, you know, in addition to my full time job. But um, during that time, I met my now ex husband and he said to me, "Look, when we get married, um, you know I, I support you doing these side projects, but let's see if we can find you a topic that will actually make you money, because you know um, short fiction or fiction and art it just isn't a sellable topic. It's it's not a market that's ever going to do really well, and it's a saturated market as well. You know there are a lot of really good." short fiction you know magazines out there that had that were quite mature he says so you need to find something else and (laughs) he said okay well i'll think about it and at that point um when we started thinking about you know what do we want to do for a wedding it was his second wedding and so he was like he'd been married before he said i don't care what we do we don't need to do a you know church wedding and i said I'd been to a renaissance fair before we had, we had gone um once to i think the new york renaissance fair and i would kind of had that same like oh my god you know experience and i said let's have a renaissance wedding this would be amazing and he said okay <laughs> <laughs> and so i said this is awesome and so i went to barnes and Noble to, or whatever the bookstores were, you know, that had large magazine racks at the time and started looking for a magazine that would help me figure out how do you put on a Renaissance wedding? Um, books, you know, anything that I could find that would give me tips on, how, you know, what, what could I do that had a Renaissance medieval feel to it that I could make at home, you know, or hire someone. How do you do this? There was nothing nothing out there and so we winged it um you know we made our own banners out of felt cut felt that we sewed into different um you know like a crest and then with um puffy paint puffy gold paint he was an artist and so he Uh would draw like these hogwartian you know hogwarts wasn't a thing back then but you know Um, different medieval crest symbols on each one. And we had a bunch of those and that's what we hung up around the hall. And, you know, we actually even came up, we made up a dance, he and I, so that our first dance was a medieval, weird dance that he and I just made up on the fly. Um, We hired a bunch of performers from the New York Renaissance Fair. So we went back to the New York Fair to pick up business cards. of musicians and performers that we could then have perform at our wedding um cool. so we had um a, a musical group that um was were run fair performers who played music for at the um at the reception and we hired a juggler cool. <laughs> to perform for the crowd at the reception and we just had it was it was wonderful and and of course we wore costume and and had all our um everybody who was in the wedding wore costumes and our parents wore costumes and everything else and so what you know once we and then we went on honeymoon and then we when we came back i said you know (laughs) there's nothing out there covering the renfer circuit i don't get it this is such a huge community of people. And there are Ren Fairs all over the country. And if I'm putting on a Renaissance-themed costume wedding, I bet there are other people. Um, and I said, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to switch over doing this other magazine. I'm going to change it to Renaissance. And so mm-hmm. what the good part of it was, is I already had a relationship with the distributors and the buyers at the run, at the um, bookstores, because it's really hard, at least back in the 90s, it was really hard to get in. Uh, you know, they wanted to see a good quality publication before they would accept you to be on a newsstand. Um, and then you had to prove sales. And if your sales weren't good, they would pull you, you know, it was just tough. But because I had already kind of proven myself with this other magazine, even though I wasn't making any money at it, they knew the quality that I was able to put together. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to, one of the probably very few startup, you know, publishers, doing it out of the bedroom in your house, (laughs) publisher, um, who actually was able to get distribution on our first issue. Wow. Um, which was pretty cool, but only because I'd done this other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that that's the birth of Renaissance magazine was I couldn't find a darn thing out there (laughs) on how to put a freaking costume wedding together.
1: I love that though. That's how a lot of success stories come about though. Like there was a need, you saw it, you made
3: it happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, down the road, we ended up doing a wedding issue at it started out every so many issues. we would put one out.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but then it became yearly. We would put out a wedding issue because the wedding issue was always the hottest seller by far um, of any issue. And so that that was a lot of fun because I was certainly with the first wedding issue, i I was the one who wrote some of the articles based on, you know, what I had figured out on my own on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> on tips and tricks on how to put right. your own, you know, wedding together shoestring. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And I I think, um, you know, like you said, a great way to start something, which is you, you find you, you're looking for something and you can't find it. And then you realize I, I can't be the only one who needs this information. Yeah. So...
0: How cool! And to be such a pioneer for something like that. Um, again, gonna ask you to pick your favorite. Uh, to pick your favorite issue um, of Renaissance Magazine.
3: Oh, that's so hard. There, you know, I I have a lot of um, probably favorite issue or favorite articles or interviews,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, like. I had a, I did an interview with, oh gosh, I can't remember his name now. It was many, you know, in the late nineties. Yeah. Um, And he was a lute player um, Mm -hmm. and very, very accomplished guy. Um, And I would see him around at the run fairs and Um, I don't know if he approached me or I approached him and but anyways, I said, I would really love to do an interview with you. And he was, again, really supportive. He was like, of course, whatever I can do, this is great. Um, And so we ended up putting him on a cover. And um, then he, he ended up being asked to perform at a Shakespeare Festival. But this was an Oxford, Oxfordian Shakespeare Festival in San Francisco. And because my mom, where I grew up, in, I grew up in California. And so I said, oh, that's perfect. I will um, visit my mom and I could stay at home and we'll drive up on us, you know, for the weekend and I'll go to this. Um, and he had said to me, Kim, you gotta come to this Oxfordian Shakespeare event. And I said, oh, this is, uh, yeah, definitely, this sounds amazing. And so he performed at their big dinner. Um, And so, you know, at least I knew somebody there, but what this event was, and this is why I, I really appreciated the connection so much was because he brought me into this world that I didn't even know existed until I attended this conference in San Francisco in the 90s. Um, which was the theory of that Shakespeare, William Shakespeare was not actually William Shakespeare who wrote the plays, but Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford. And so this was a conference where like PhDs were giving their dissertation proposals or papers um, to a group of people who were into this stuff um, where they were doing unique research that was supporting this theory. So for instance, this one guy, I think, um, had researched, um, like the, they had found like a um, diary or something like that, that they were pretty certain was Shakespeare's. And so he had identified like how many times he used certain words in the diary, compared to how often they were used in Shakespeare's poetry and plays? Okay. And what's the chance of this being the same person um, or something like that? It might have been the Edward de Vere's. Actually, it was probably Edward de Vere's um, um, diary, not Shakespeare's diary. And so, you know, there were so many similarities between Edward de Vere's writings that they knew was his and the, and Shakespeare's writing that his proposition was, yeah, it's the same guy. Hmm. And so there were all this new research that it was being presented at this conference. Um, so that was a really fascinating um, thing to watch and to, to hear all the new um, research and, and what people were doing a, a, around that topic, which is still... Um, very much of a in contention to this day as to whether Shakespeare was really William Shakespeare or Francis Bacon or Edward de Vere.
1: There's a movie or two about that as well. Oh, yeah.
3: And in in fact, there's I think we did an article once um, about how there was a season when Queen Elizabeth kind of disappeared And she was supposedly going on progress, meaning that she was going to travel the countryside and meet with her, you know, the people, um, which is what the royalty were kind of supposed to do in the summer. Um, So to get away from the hot, gross air in London or whatever, they would go on progress. And she kind of like disappeared for like a bunch of months and just hung out at this one house for... Um, you know, a, a manor house for like four months and no one could figure out like, what is she doing there? She should be going all over the countryside. And um, there's a, a big theory that, or you know, that she was pregnant and had a baby um, and that she needed to kind of disappear once she got to a certain size and, and started showing. Um, so, to have her baby. And so she had her baby at the, the manor house and that baby um, ended up being taken in by the DeVeres and raised as Edward. Oh. So Edward was always given um, a lot of um, special treatment by Queen Elizabeth and others um, in, in surprising ways that some people say Maybe because Edward was her love child. interesting with Robert hmm. Dudley, you, you know, I mean, she and Robert dudley was were quite close. Yes. <laughs> and no doubt probably snuggled a lot snuggled.
1: I like that I had a little royal snuggle
3: <laughs> royal snuggling <laughs> and and she may have had a baby because of the snuggle. interesting theory. I yeah. you know, I never. I never so, heard that. Can you, th- can you imagine that, like Queen Elizabeth may have had a baby that wrote all the Shakespeare plays? That was Shakespeare. And it, and there
1: there's there could be lineage then that there would be children of her, you know, great 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 yeah. grandchildren oh, yeah. of hers in existence now. That would be right, right,
3: incredible. Huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot pro and con with this argument. So I think I'm I'm not. Real, I love the romantic part of that like she had her love child and she you mm-hmm. know raised it from afar and treated this this guy really well um, and gave him lots of you know opportunities and chances to learn about the court um, and that's kind of how Shakespeare learned so much about um, court life um, you know that's the theory right that that somebody who lived in a village in the middle of nowhere would probably not have all the opportunities right. to learn about the world and about how kings from different countries worked with one another and the history of all of this stuff. It just wouldn't be part of their world in a way that it was for noblemen at the time, you know, who who were seeped in that, that they they just lived in that world and so the theory is that well maybe Shakespeare was a royal or not necessarily royal but like was a nobleman of some sort and right Shakespeare meaning shaky spear or shaky pen was just a pen name um Uh the other theory of course was that um Edward Devere they're pretty certain was gay and so if he was gay that um would go a long way as to why he would want to keep his identity a secret. Um mm-hmm. because he was penning love poems to his lovers and and that sort of thing. Um and so yeah, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Like maybe Edward really was Shakespeare and maybe Edward was also Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth's you
1: know, bastard son. So it's so cool. Somebody write that screenplay. Actually, Kim, you should write. The- <laughs> yeah. Let's write this screenplay yes. together. <laughs> we'll write this screenplay and then pitch this to Hollywood. Um...
0: This episode is sponsored by Henderson's Hearth.
1: You know, It's clear that Amy over at Henderson's Hearth puts so much heart into the ingredients in her creations. They're healthy, easy to prepare, things like soups, bread mixes, jams, and just like Sam Hewn, steeped in Celtic tradition. The ingredients are either grown by her or acquired locally and prepared in small batches.
0: One of the products that caught my eye early on was the orange ginger marmalade. It reminded me so much of growing up with the Paddington Bear series that I knew I had to order it. If you've ever wanted to know the secret to talking bears, their orange marmalade is exactly what I imagine is worth keeping an emergency sandwich under your hat for. And while I don't have a hat that could hold a marmalade sandwich, I can put some on a delicious slice of their Irish brown bread. And what do you know? With their bread mix, I made it myself. And that pairing is just so hearthy. Oh, that was punny. No, that was good for the soul, just like their soup mixes.
1: Oh, no, you did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, though, I can totally vouch for this because the soups are so delicious. I tried the beef and barley, which was hearty, and the Henderson soup mix, which is one I've never even heard of before. Um, It was so good. It's their take on a Scottish recipe with lentils, brown rice, split peas, and barley. And all of their things are perfect for any gathering, including the one you have alone with your cat in a good book by the fire. Oh, and did I mention the mulled cider spices?
2: Oh,
0: oh my Mm. gosh. Pretty much all the items at Henderson's Hearth are vegetarian friendly and so many are vegan friendly, too. So thank you, Henderson's Hearth.
1: I don't know if we have any connections whatsoever to make that happen, but we
3: might. And, hey, you know, six degrees from Kevin Bacon. Right. Whatever it is, right? Six or seven. Somebody, one of us has got to know somebody that might know Kevin or somebody in Hollywood. I think I figured out once that I'm like two steps,
1: which is really close.
2: (laughs)
0: How okay? I we will come back to that in a second because, like, I want to know how, but also with movies being made like Chevalier, um, coming out soon, I would really love to see a story like that. So, yes, please,
1: Interesting. yeah, please. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that our audience understands, I just want to make sure that they understand, and Renaissance magazine doesn't exist anymore, but you have done this incredible thing and you've created Fairfinder which is what we've been talking about renaissance fairs and things like that. Right. This right. is a really amazing tool for anyone who wants to learn more or whatever mm-hmm. tell us about Fairfinder.
3: So when um I I stuck stuck with Renaissance Magazine um through about 60 issues which was i don't know maybe eight years eight nine years something like that and then it was passed on um to different art director and editor and at that time um over the years it then got passed on to other people and by the time like 2017-18 rolled around which was when I started really jonesing for to get back into the community, I was really missing it, um, and had a little bit of extra time on my hands where I could dedicate to another side project. Um, I realized, like the 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 then current incarnation of Renaissance Magazine, really wasn't doing a great job at their fair section, which was kind of a foundational piece always of my original vision for renaissance magazine which was that this was the source for finding renaissance fairs so we always i worked really hard to make sure that the fair listings in the back were as comprehensive and correct as possible um, because there was nowhere in on you know there was no run list there there might have been some you know, handouts here and there, Xeroxed handouts somewhere that someone might have of run fairs, but really Renaissance magazine kind of became that place where you could, you know, find Mm -hmm. out the run fair in your area and know where it was. Um, So they weren't doing a very good job of it. And I thought, you know, I think it's time for an app. (laughs) And I want to try my hand at an app. Um, And so I reached out to some friends of mine who were developers Um, who could do app work really inexpensively. And I said, I want to do an app. And this is my vision for it. And they said, well, if you're going to do an app, you might as well do a website at the same time because you're building a database. So do them both. And I said, okay. So that's when I built Fairfinder. And the Fairfinder is that piece of Renaissance Magazine, which was like the last 20 pages or So of Renaissance Magazine, which were the fair listings. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, because of modern technology, we could now add driving directions and maps and add more information. And um, so that's Mm -hmm. when I started Fair Finder. And then a year or two later I started, um, I, I said, well, this is great. We're doing fair, you know, we're doing the fair listings. But, I, you know, I'm still not doing any of the editorial side of things that I really love doing with Renaissance Magazine, you know, interviews and articles. And, and I said, well, I could make this a part of Fairfinder, but it was going to be easier from a technical standpoint to just start a separate website. So that's when I started Mistorical, um, which was to give me an outlet for Getting back into providing content to the community, um, so with Mistorical, we um, publish the best it articles from Renaissance Magazine. Um, so you'll you'll see you know a few times a year we'll we'll be we publish um, or more than a few times a year we publish um, old articles that I freshen up and and. Uh, you know, put in new imagery and everything else. So even if you might have read that article 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, it's it's still going to be fresh and new. Um, and then we um, talk about um, some of the most recent interesting archaeological finds that have been discovered or something new and unusual in the history. Um, from basically same thing with Renaissance it was always from about 650 to 1650 is is how I kind of rounded it out and um, so I'm constantly looking for you know, uh, the latest and greatest new something that's been, you know um, that might be of interest to people in the Renfair community. Um, so like for instance, last, month, we published an article about Medieval Times dinner theater, and how they recently unionized, um, at least a few of their dinner mm-hmm. theaters have unionized. Um, so we covered that in a few months ago, like September ish, when they started unioni- unionizing. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
3: and now they're the one their Medieval Times in Buena Park, California is on strike. And so I figured, well, we need to talk about that. Um, So there's an article on how um, the jousters and the queen (laughs) are now striking at the dinner theater for better wages and um, better safety conditions for them and their horses. Um, So, you know, topical newsy items. Um, in addition to historical pieces. And now I'm also starting to do a little bit more uh, on video. Um, I want to bring some more video into that world as well. So I, we'll see hopefully over the next year or two um, more uh, listicles, they call it. So like articles that have lists
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, and helping people you know, get ready for run fair and what do you need to do, the type of stuff you need to bring with you if you're a novice, Rennie, um, fair speak. I have an article on fair speak that's scheduled um, in a few weeks. So, oh. you know, it just gives you some tips on, you know, how do you um, address? And then I think that we have one already posted um, about, you know, how do you address the queen um, versus a nobleman versus a merchant versus yes. a wench? <laughs> So the, the forms of address at a run fair, so that if you're in costume or not, um, but you want to feel more a part of that community, you'll know what to say and to whom, mm-hmm. your little cheat sheet. <laughs> um, not to say that, you know, you, you can go to a run fair and have a blast without knowing any of this stuff. It just is a little bit of, it adds a little bit more spice
1: it helps and- at festivals like bristol or texas where they're a larger festival and the um the people who work there have and some that don't but the people that work there specifically have been trained to recognize those stations so yeah. when you go there and address them properly they they interact with you differently but also like depending on how you dress, that also affects your station as well, and how they will address you.
3: Right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I didn't realize until I started getting involved was that if you have a really amazing costume and you know the modes of address and you love going to fair, you don't need to be a performer to perform at fair. So what they will do is they will pay your way and they will give you sometimes a stipend for food, as long as you come certain number of weekends out in the season. So they want this I people know. in, yeah. <laughs> they want people in costume to be there and to um, add ambiance. Yeah. And the way they do that, because they can't afford to hire everybody that they want to to be a performer, um, so they will ask certain people um and and it, it may be the sort of thing that you just call the festival director and say what do i need to do here's a photo of my costume i want to you know I, I i commit to coming every weekend for the run of fair you know will you give me you know um free access but they they will they will allow you in for free this is a fabulous and tip food <laughs> <laughs> As long as you walk around the fair and act like you live there, yeah, like and this so is a if festival you're really you into it right. and you're willing to go every weekend, um, that's the way to do it. Man. I wish I had you know, known what? this
1: like 20 years ago. Because
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was... we interviewed a gal who was she she dressed up as a visiting queen from another country, and so um, I took a photograph of her and she was on a cover and. I said, so you're a performer. And she's like, No, <laughs> I just come and they they let me in for free because um, you know, they know that I have an that I present myself like a queen and she had a you know, royal costume, and they were like, Oh yeah, <laughs> we need you here to, to to look as if you're part of the court. Um so she was cool. a visiting queen. Um, and she came every weekend.
1: Yeah. Huh the wheels are turning
2: yeah
0: (laughs) um to uh josh listening in our moderator chat um, (laughs) please get ready i feel like a costume is coming
1: (laughs) (laughs) um right that's fabulous to know thank you
3: yeah and I've, i've also been thinking it would be fun i haven't done this yet but to to review inexpensive costumes off amazon so that because there's a lot of crappy ones out there but there are some good ones and then how do you know what size you know because they come from china and so the sizes are like totally different from american sizes so to have someone who says these are good costumes they're not going to fall apart on you and you need to you know if you're a size large, you want to get a two XL or something like that, right? Um, to do something like that and and start reviewing product on Amazon, so that people who want to try it out inexpensively, um, you know, and just get get a simple thirty dollar forty dollar costume mm-hmm. off Amazon, they know which one to get.
1: Um, I they- would love to help with this in any capacity. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, and then you get to like order what everything and try it all on and then go, yeah, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that's right. that's not going on the Fairfinder AAA <laughs> reading list. Um,
2: I
0: offer to be the male model.
3: All right.
0: Offer. <laughs> well,
3: but yeah, that's the key is that we need people willing to try them on and um have a photograph of some sort um to show that yeah, the, the costume looks decent and, and maybe even say a few words like yeah love it or eh, it doesn't really fit here it we, should okay it we will talk about this later
2: <laughs> um.
0: And, like, along that same vein, maybe we could do an episode, like, as we start getting closer to some of the larger festivals about people who are wanting to make their own costume um, and talk about, like, patterns yeah, right. that might be good or, like, fabrics yeah. to consider um, and, like, considerations when you're making that. Uh, kind of, like, a tips from, tips from people who sew.
1: Yeah. I used to do costuming for some of the royal court at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival and... In general i was a costume designer
3: <laughs> yeah so, so you could talk about like the history of the rough and then mm-hmm. how you could put a rough together inexpensively and simply oh, yeah because they look very complex but i they really aren't no you kind not. of have to know how to fold or whatever the and how to make the lace um stiff yeah stiff yeah um, or you could talk about the full nine yards where that term mm-hmm. comes from right um, from the Scottish kilt. Right.
1: That's funny, because um, I just got yeah. done telling James about that the other day. Because <laughs> he was like, I want a great kilt. What does
3: this mean? <laughs> it was like, well, I guess we can get you the full nine yards. Right. Uh, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's where the term comes from, is that, you know, a full, is it a great kilt, what they would call a great kilt, where you would wrap it around your midsection and then also use it as a cape and also a shawl and also if you were sleeping outside at night a blanket you had to have a full nine yards of fabric and there was you know a technique for folding it up in the back so that um that's where kind of the folded kilt came up so that it would kind of flow over your belt appropriately.
2: Uh-huh. But then
3: you needed enough that it would pull all the way over that so that you could use it to, to stay warm, keep the wet out. Um, if it was raining, right. it was like an all purpose, huge piece of cloth. Um, but yeah, that's it was nine yards long. And that's where that term comes from. So there's a lot of really cool history that happened, you know, like terms and and weird parts um, that would be fascinating from a costuming perspective sure. um, to talk about. That you know, I think it would be fascinating. You know, like the the French hood. How did that come about, and why? how did why is it you called know, a farthingale? Right. brought it from France and made it a thing. And you know, uh, one of the things I'm really curious about, however, is like there's this new fashion at the Renaissance fair. It's this like little top hat which is really cool for women, but no one wears French hoods anymore. No one wears anything really historical. Yeah. It's like a fascinator.
1: And then, yeah, Yeah. I noticed that too. In fact, it's interesting because there were a couple, I can't remember where, but I remember reading not too long ago that a French hood was considered matronly. And I wonder if that's why people, like, it's not as cute. <laughs>
3: okay.
1: People want to be cute. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I'm always looking for, like, something different and cool to wear for headgear. Yeah. Um, and there, there's, like, two styles available that you can purchase at a Renaissance fair for headgear, which is very d- disappointing. And on Amazon, there's, like, nothing. There's, like, a hairnet. Right. Yeah. It's and that's awesome. it. Right.
1: <laughs> that's right
3: yeah so you know anyone that can talk about french hoods or you know how do you get a um circlet and then wrap the fabric around your here and then it flows out um that's more of a, i think a medieval style um yeah like a- and it looks kind of nun like but it was very popular for a season or 10.
1: we even saw that in braveheart i think
3: yeah yeah um, yeah, so you'll see them in movies uh, on occasion but you know you never see that at a renaissance fair anymore and I'd love to figure that one out I haven't found anyone yet where I could get a, a good circlet
2: hmm.
3: um, I think I'm going to have to have like a blacksmith make me one that fits my head or something <laughs> I'm yeah. trying
1: to think if we know anybody but I don't know if I do know anybody who makes a circ other than amber rose but she does like the real ornate ones and i don't know if that's kind of what you're looking for you wouldn't want to cover it with fabric
3: right and that that's kind of the idea is that it would hold the fabric in place so you would see maybe a little bit of it but yeah yeah
1: one day yeah one day if anybody knows a circlet maker please email us (laughs) um and if anybody knows a hat maker. We want to interview them too. <laughs> there you go. Right.
0: Well, I mean, it. M- I have a recommendation um, because we did talk to them once upon a time. Um, we talked to uh, John Burroughs back in October. And oh, that's a- right. And a blacksmith, Burroughs and I mean, Forge. and I, I mean, I
1: was trying might to be think-
0: able to call it a favor. <laughs>
1: I was trying to look through my business cards here because I had a... I bought a hat, this... Burroughs Forge. Burroughs Forge, yeah. Burroughs Forge. Yeah. He does blacksmith work. We interviewed him um, many episodes ago, but he was he's phenomenal, and I bet he would do a custom circlet for you. I can't find the card I was looking for. There's... There's a vendor at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival and Swan is in the name, I think. And she makes hats and has an Etsy shop and she has some really cool ones. Not period accurate. Some of them are, yeah, some of yeah, most yeah. of them aren't, but boy are they cool
3: looking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just one of those crazy ones that was I'm like, "Okay, well, I see the same one over and over again. I want something different." And at this point, different just would be a little more historic yeah um would be pretty cool yeah
1: yeah it's it's interesting that if you don't see it and and this this is now a pattern with you you probably already know this (laughs) if i don't see it i must make it (laughs) i must make it exist (laughs) and be in this world i'm the same way there it not exist (laughs) (laughs) i can totally relate to that though because that's that's how like all the the photography i do is like oh the dress that i want in in my in the picture in my head the only way to make that happen is if I make the dress. So I make the yeah, dress. Yeah. And yes, that is same with Trey, right? Trey, the hoodie you want doesn't exist. So you got to create it. So you got to make it. That's he's wearing right now one that he made. Oh, fantastic.
0: Yeah. Um, if you see it and you want it to come and be a real thing, invest a little bit of time into it. Because I swear to you, it's not going to take as much time as you think it will. And the more that you do it, the faster it gets. So, the complex costume that you want to make in your head, give it space in reality, and it will become real.
3: <laughs> well, I'm a believer in manifestation. You know, I know a lot of people don't believe in that, but I, I, get weird things that happen to me. You know, so I, I sometimes think all I have to do is say in my head, "Boy, I really want." A circlet, and then somehow it's going to come to me. So, like the other day, um, Walt, my partner, lost his glasses that he uses. He wears, you know, all day long. Mm-hmm. And we he took a day off from work because he was too nervous to drive. Oh, to work Ooh. without his glasses, and we spent the whole day looking for those darn glasses. We still, to this day, could not find them. Wow! But I was like, okay, I'm going to pull out a I'm going, I should do use a pendulum to on a map of our house (laughs) to see if I can figure out where in what room the glasses may be. And I sat there and go, went, I used to years ago have a pendulum and I don't anymore. And this really sucks. And I really wish I had that pendulum. And so I kind of put something together with a necklace and, you know, we still didn't find the glasses. But, you know, I, I had this thought like, God, I really wish I had that pendulum. And then I had a birthday last week. Oh, happy birthday. And my sister. Birthday. Oh, thank you. My sister's one gift to me was a pendulum. Wow. And I just thought, what? Oh, wow. That was just a few weeks of me putting it out to the universe. But, gosh, I really wish I had a pendulum. Okay. And then, you know, you go about your business and there it was. Boom. I'm like, what a weird gift to give someone. I mean, she knows I'm kind of into stuff like this. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it just was very random. A very random How thing. Cool, but though. it was exactly, you know, what. So I kind of feel like that stuff happens often. You know, if you don't have a lot of attachment to the wish that you put out, or you, you don't desperately need it, but you just kind of want it, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you let it go, that sometimes they find their way to you. It may take a few weeks or months, but yeah. So I'll put it out to the universe that I would love (laughs) some sort of circlet. Some sort of (laughs) circlet. That's
1: (laughs) not without the realm of, yeah, that's not not outside the realm of possibilities. So (laughs) I think it's very possible for you to get your circlet. And Mm -hmm. in this same vein, I think, Trey, you know, we've been doing this whole like, Please sponsor us. We love you. We actually have an email for the show called that's please sponsor us. We love you at the dot com, And um, unfortunately we don't have to check that email often because nobody, not nobody, (laughs) but just about nobody emails us there. But it was like a joke. We're like, please sponsor us. We love you. One day. But I thought, you know, maybe maybe our approach is wrong, Trey. Maybe we just need to be like, we wish for Spotify to give us an exclusive
3: deal. <laughs> no, we yeah, we... don't limit yourself, guys. <laughs> no limits. We... Go for go for the gold.
0: We want Audible. We want Amazon. We want Apple. We want Google. Um, we want Jason Momoa to give us an exclusive. Deal. We
1: want ABC, NBC. <laughs> Why not? We
3: want an HBO special.
0: We and want an HBO fantastic. special.
3: So what would it feel like for you guys to have Jason Momoa on? <laughs> like, would you do that happy dance, Trey? Be I, like, think we both oh stopped- <laughs> I think we both stopped breathing there
1: for a second. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I thought about that. We, every now and then... And this this happened recent. I don't I don't know if I could I can't talk about much of this, but very recently we did have someone that we had been wanting to have on the show. Somebody who was a well known person on your, on your
3: wish list. Yes.
1: Yes, and not necessarily. Yeah, it was on our wish list. I'll just say that I I have to be vague, and we this ha- is now in this is now actually coming to pass that this person that we wanted is going to be on the show. And I remember when I got the news, thank you to Sandra, (laughs) our producer, (laughs) she texted me and was like, uh, they said yes. And I didn't know which person she meant, but I was sitting at the table. <laughs> you were like,
3: Jason Momoa? Oh, right.
1: Yeah. You know what? We didn't ask Jason Momoa, but I think we should because if you don't should. ask, they won't, exactly. they have nothing to say yes to. You
3: know, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> what's the
1: worst? <laughs> I know. What's the worst thing he could happen tr- that could happen, Right? Would he show up at your door and be like, <laughs> and then you would literally pass away.
3: (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. But yeah, I think, why not? You should go for the gold. And I mean, what is amazing is that probably one person out of a certain number will say yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be like, oh, this is fantastic. And that's kind of, we'll get the ball rolling. Um, And then once that one famous person says yes then more will come right yeah and maybe it starts with me I think so <laughs> I mean obviously
1: yeah obviously I think um I think we're on a good roll and yeah. we're we're kind of happy with the direction we're going at least I am
3: no. well I wouldn't mind being invited back on when you guys have Jason of course yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. obviously you were part of we making should talk it happen. about Aquaman and And, uh, you know, oh, well, he played, he's played a Viking or something, some barbarian, barbarian? Yeah, so we can ask him about medieval renaissance-y, Viking-y history.
1: Maybe he's been to a renaissance festival. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Maybe maybe he's been on Fairfinder to find a renaissance festival. (laughs) Would you even know?
3: Um, Only if he subscribed. (gasps) And then if he didn't use his real email name than I would have. Yeah. Maybe he has a separate email for that that's like
1: BobTheBuilder at gmail.com right. or something. <laughs> so Jason, if you're out there listening, you need to go subscribe to FairFinder.com in a, with an email that is recognizable to Kim so that she knows it's really you. And actually everybody out there listening needs to go subscribe to FairFinder.com and
3: uh, tell Kim who you are. <laughs> Yeah, and it's all free. So, it, there's no yeah. downside. Except that you get a email in your email box once a month. Right. And it's with, wonderful with cool article ideas. It's cool it's, article.
1: Yeah, it's not junk mail. It's absolutely worth subscribing to. And then you get the historical Is that a separate email? I forget.
3: The historical is the monthly newsletter and it okay. includes fairfinder Okay. chart data on it.
1: And you were telling us one story, you started to tell us one story before we started, and it had to do with, it kind of ties in a little bit with your circlet, and that is, I. and maybe not, I don't know that you
3: wished for a crop circle, but tell us the story. Oh, yeah. So I was living up in New Hampshire at the time, and I was publishing, I was still working on Renaissance, but I was also... I'd started a new magazine called Mysteries Magazine. Okay. And um, this magazine was about the paranormal, supernatural, science mysteries, historical mysteries. So it was, you know, it wasn't just like ghosts, but we did cover a little bit about that. And I had been invited out um, to a crop circle convention in Arizona. And I thought, this is so bizarre. <laughs> a convention <laughs> you know? for crop circles. And I, I thought, this is great. I'll get, a, you know, content for an issue and I'll do a crop circle issue. And so we'll, we'll make that kind of the theme of the issue. And then I'll, I'll get a lot of information at this convention. And the convention was, again, kind of like that um, Shakespearean festival or convention, where it was like researchers giving talks about um, the latest research on crop circles. And there were some people there, like the only crop circle researchers in the U.S. were talking at this convention. And they talked about these were PhDs from universities. And they also talked about like how difficult it was to study crop circle formation in the U.S. because all their colleagues would make fun of them (laughs) because they yeah I mean it's a crop circle and so um they were um often sidelined as most are in the as an alternative person and not a real scientist and I had gotten up the morning of my 10th anniversary, wedding anniversary, and went to walk the dogs up in the hills. And where my house was in New Hampshire, it was just, you know, um, mountains in the background, you know, fields and mountains, nothing, you know, like no people, no houses, nothing. Um, And walked into this back, small field of weeds, literally. And there was a depressed circle in that field of weeds. And I thought, okay, I just came back from this convention. Like what's the chance <laughs> of this happening? And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll take photos and um, send it to some of the people that I, I had, you know, heard their talk and had gotten their names. And so I, I sent a bunch of photos out and sent them off and then it snowed Mm. and then from that point on i couldn't get up there because you know it it's new hampshire (laughs) in the winter and so it covered it stayed covered for i don't know four months five months something like that um now in the meantime they all got back to me and said yeah we think this is probably real so that's just a little piece of the (laughs) cross circle story But yeah, so that that was just a wonderful time. I have so many
1: questions, and I don't believe I know, they're answerable. <laughs> like I, I, don't expect you to have answers.
3: You know, yeah. I've always... Well, I could go on for another half hour. That would
1: probably. <laughs> I've always yeah. been skeptical of UFOs because I, I've not seen much myself. Like, yeah, there's lights in the sky, but I've never seen anything that I would be like that's completely unidentifiable have
0: and it's i mean it's i kind of wish that more people had this type of experience because i've never been in a crop circle i've never seen one
1: i've made one once
0: (laughs) (laughs) emily i did
1: i mowed a crop circle right in the front yard of that house in south carolina because it was such a big big open empty front yard i probably have pictures somewhere
0: I, okay number one i did not know that number two you're contributing to the contributing to the like the
1: it's a craft circle no it's not you know. i actually kind of wanted people to wonder if it was real yeah <laughs> oh, i
3: did in your case the, the the weeds were broken and not oh yeah i mowed the grass right
1: off <laughs> and i did it on a dare from my sister sarah who um it was like I dare you to mow a crop circle. I just bought this house and it was like my first house and I bought it all by myself and I was so excited. And she's like, I dare you to mow a crop circle in the front yard, and I was like, Deal. Oh
3: <laughs> my that. god, I still so would have taken that deal
2: too. <laughs> right.
0: So two things. One, the only weird thing that I have ever experienced in my entire life is to this day I can't explain it. Hmm. Um, but I swear that I saw a meteorite. Um like start crashing towards the earth, and it blew up in the atmosphere right over my hometown.
2: You might Uh, have.
0: um, So I don't know what it was. Um, It was huge, because if I could see it from here, and it was like from my peripheral, was like maybe an inch, inch and a half wide um, from uh, from whatever altitude it was at. Yeah, it was really stinking big. Um, the other thing is. Did
3: you think it was? Did you think it was a meteor? And were you petrified?
0: Um, no, I I wasn't petrified. I just kind of looked at it and went, "That's odd." Um, and then I told my mom about it, and she's like, "It's probably nothing." I'm like, "Ha! <laughs> ha! How dare you!" First of all. <laughs> um,
3: I would think it was, like, a bomb, and I would just be like, ah. Yeah, totally oh, crazy. that could be scary. Right.
0: Good Lord. Um, God, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Jeez, I got so caught up in the emotional, like, the, the retelling of that story. You that said I there was s-
1: only one or two things that were strange that happened to you? You held up yeah. two fingers.
0: I did hold up two fingers, and now I can't remember what the, the second thing was. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, It's fine. Hey, we got the the we got the story out there. Um, well, now lit- we
3: know the you know the secrets that are going on about everybody here that's seen UFOs and made fake crop circles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hashtag stop fake crop circles. Uh, <laughs>
3: i'm gonna add that to this
1: episode
0: (laughs) um this okay not a weird thing but the second thing that i would like to say if that we happen to be broadcasting to any um ufos out there um if you would like to make yourself
3: (laughs) hi we love you we're we're ufo friendly
0: (laughs) we are ufo friendly please sponsor us uh, please sponsor us we love you at the
1: can you imagine Um, that email we wouldn't be able to decipher
0: it maybe or maybe maybe they
3: should be on your wish list
0: for a
3: guest do you know you'll be the first person i I email
1: if
2: that happens
0: but if they want to make themselves a more palatable if they happen to be of like a skin type or a body type or some kind of composite therein uh that is not exactly like uh what we would consider natural uh if you have the ability to shape shift just make yourself look like jason momoa (laughs) <laughs> and you will be completely more palatable. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, slowly introduce the fact, like, hey, we don't normally look like this. We just wanted to present a more, like, palatable uh, demeanor before we proceeded.
1: This is brilliant. And just incidentally, I'm really sorry, Jason, because <laughs> this might ruin your career. I don't know. But
3: <laughs>
1: but yes, this oh, is
3: brilliant. God. Oh, Yeah. God. Jason definitely needs to come on now as an
0: alien yeah. or not doesn't matter hey we will take it kim um <laughs> i just have to say this this is such a fun episode um i i really enjoyed it and please um please don't think this forward but would you like like to be on the podcast at a, at a future date
2: Oh sure,
1: I have other stories. <laughs> I love how you did that. You're like, will you go to prom with me? <laughs> will,
0: you go, will you go to podcast with me?
1: Honor <laughs> <do, Connor>, Trey. <laughs> Trey yes! I like a have. podcast pod pod pro. I can't say the word. I'm promos- got, proposal. Promo. <laughs> proposal. Proposal.
2: Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: Uh, Emily, um, the next time that we're in person together uh, to do the proposal thing, we should do like the prom pose. Right. Feel-
1: we should go to JCPenney
3: and do one of those photo shoots. Oh, with God, them that would and be awesome. We- that needs to be your, your podcast photo.
1: <laughs> we should do that for a photo shoot for the podcast. We'll put that on the website and be like, this is us.
0: I'm crying, and I'm not sure if it's because of my allergies
1: or
3: how hard I'm laughing.
1: Someone just screenshot. <laughs> Why can't I do that with my hands? <laughs>
2: okay.
0: Oh, God. Okay. Um, uh, so funny. Kim, um, I have not had this much fun in a while. Um, this is great. This is, this is so much fun. Yeah. Um, from renaissance to starting your own magazine to uh to having a ufo crop circle in your backyard and seeing a lot of ufos um i think there is a through line throughout all of this and i think that you have manifested a lot of the success in your life by thinking positively and looking forward versus looking back um and i think that is such an incredible message to to share with everybody, um, including your 82 year old neighbor. Um, so Herb. I want to say, I, Herb. Herb. So <laughs> I want to say thank you so much for being here. And thank I you. have one last request: um, if you were to give a um, an inspiring words to um, to anyone who's looking to get started, whether it be in Renaissance or researching into the potentially unknown history of William Shakespeare, question mark, if that's his real name, or mm-hmm. into anything related therein, what words of wisdom would you give them?
3: Well, you know, you can get anything now on the internet in terms of information. Um, so I guess the the key is to, for me, what really inspires me is to find those areas of history that still, there's so many parts of history that have not yet been fully explained, that are still mysterious. And there's so much room right now for still exploring what happened to various people, um, who they were, et cetera. You know, even um, um, Christopher Marlowe, who was a contemporary of shakespeare and, and ben Jonson, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he was um he died in this very freak accident in at a in a tavern brawl with his buds and no one can figure out like did he just die this random death this incredible playwright genius um at the age of like 28 or something or was he a spy <laughs> For Queen Elizabeth and was taken out because of that reason. And so there's like no one quite knows. Like there's so much out there that's that is still unknown. And so I would say for anyone, you know, find those things that inspire you, that get you excited, get that passion and juice running like, oh, my God, you got to learn more because how can you not? This is just so fascinating. There's going to be a topic out there that's going to turn you on like that. Um, so just do a little bit of digging, and you'll you'll find those. And they're everywhere, everywhere in history. Um, you just have to look for them.
1: Awesome advice. And yes, as, as Archer thirty three X said, the truth is out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. Uh, thank you, everybody. Have a Have a weird day, specifically a crop circle weird day.
1: Sounds perfect. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, everybody.
0: We love you. Bye.